Okay. Well, thank you, Matt, and Alma, and Melody, and Franklin, and the new drummer. First time up there, Jordan. Praise the Lord. Great job up there. Lucas, uh, Lucas Bear, if you can make your way uh, up here. Um, before Lucas, Luke, as he's coming up here, I, I'd like to introduce real quick uh, to our missionary team. Uh, we have a missionary team. I don't know if you know that. Uh, we have a missionary team that met with Lucas and Teresa on Thursday night. Can, they, can you just stand so people can see who you are? Uh, is Todd, Todd? There you go, Rich. Penny, there you go, walkers. Uh, these individuals are part of our mission uh, team. Uh, so they meet with missionaries. Uh, they, they formulated our plan for meeting with missionaries. Um, but this guy, he's not only a missionary to Brazil, he's, he's probably one of my best friends. Um, this guy, I, I just, uh, and his wife, by the way, Teresa, right there. Um, it was over 11 years ago. I don't know if you remember, maybe 12 years ago when we, when we, no, when, <laughs> when we planted, when, when, when God called me to plant a church, I was living in Runnels, Iowa, and I was sitting out on my deck, just praying about what God would do and where we would go. And, and, uh, you called me and you said, Hey, Greg, I heard you, you're the next church planter, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I guess they're, they, they, God has a sense of humor. And he said, Greg, he goes, show me from the word of God where God is calling you to be a church planner. And I was showing you where, you know, subjectively where I was reading verses in Ephesians and Galatians where, where God called uh, Paul to, to preach the gospel to all these different areas and woe to him if he didn't. And I just shared that and I said, I really feel like God's calling me to do that. And Lucas listened to me. And then Lucas gave me some of the greatest words of advice. He said to me, he said, Greg, write all of that down. And I'm like, why? He said, because someday you're going to feel like it's not worth it. You're just going to go sell insurance or something. He said, but you need to remember you're called by Jesus to bring the gospel and to teach people what it means to follow Jesus. Don't ever forget that. And praise, praise God, I haven't forgot it yet. <laughs> but I thank you for that. Thank you for speaking to my life. Thank you for being a godly example. And so we haven't yet supported you, so now it's important that he has a good message. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. I love you too. And uh, it's exciting to be here this morning, but before I get into my message, I just want to say, whoa, that like moment of worship was like, this is like the step down now. Like the message, that was amazing. I don't know, I was just like somewhere else, that whole, that was awesome. My heart was just enraptured. And uh, it was in, in tears, and it was awesome. So thank you, Matt, and, and the team that led us in worship this morning. That was, that was powerful. So as Greg said, I am, uh, I'm Lucas, Lucas Bear. My wife is Teresa, and we have three boys, Nathaniel, Jackson, and Owen, and they are the ages of 22, 20, and 18. That, that was the most difficult part of my message was getting those, <laughs> those ages right. No, 22, 20, and, and 18. And our 18-year-old just moved out of the house just a few weeks ago. So we have just entered into the, the epic, the, uh, the time of, of empty nesters. So we're adjusting to that here. And uh, in a few months, we're actually going to leave them all behind and, and move back to Brazil. So that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting transition. But for the last 14 years, we have been working and living and ministering 
in Brazil, making disciples, establishing churches. And it has been, it's been crazy, uh, exciting, scary, painful, and joyful adventure. Two years ago, we launched a, a brand new church, new church project. And it was right coming at the end of COVID. COVID was a crazy time. I know it was here. It was really crazy in Brazil. And this new church that we launched um, two years ago has been paradigm shifting for us. Down in Brazil during COVID, everything shut down. It was different than here, or at least in Iowa. Iowa was like Wild West. When we came back to visit Iowa, it was like, holy smokes, like a Wild West. Um, but in Brazil, everything shut down. In that period of time, we were partnered with a, uh, a very large and vibrant church. I was in our city trying to help them plant churches in the south side of the city where we lived. But during that year, or during that time of COVID, everything shut down for a year. There were no public gatherings for a whole year. Our church never, never, never gathered in person for an entire year. And just process through that. It was a really difficult time. But through all that, it showed us the importance of the relational and community aspects of the church. Because through all that time, the people had become isolated and scattered. And so, two years ago, when we launched out on this new church plant project, we wanted to plant a church that really emphasized that relational and community aspect. And so instead of a large, centralized church, we wanted to plant a bunch of small and simple churches that were networked together. And through this, the Lord has been challenging and reshaping my idea of what it means to be a disciple. He has simplified and at the same time deepened my thoughts on what I'm supposed to do and who I am supposed to be as a follower of Christ. And he used a really familiar passage to do it. It's so familiar that it's, it's totally cliche that a missionary would come to a church and teach on this passage. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. The passage of Scripture I'm going to bring to you today, it's, it's flat out embarrassing that this is the passage that God led me to, to share with you guys today. But I'm willing to risk the embarrassment this morning. But I think it's important. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, what's, which is known as the Great Commission. Now I have my Bible here. I don't know why, because I put all my Bible verses in my notes. I think it's here just to look like I have a Bible, but it's all my notes. I'm not going to open my Bible, but I, I, I promise it's here. I think they'll put the, the stuff on the back of the screen as well, so you can follow along. Either on your Bible, on your phone, or on the screen. So, Matthew, I'm actually going to start in verse 18. And we're going to real quick kind of work through this passage and just kind of hit some of the important things this morning. But let's read it. Or I'll read it and you can follow along. So I'm going to start in verse 18. And Jesus said, excuse me, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we need to talk about the context a little bit before we get started. This is the end. These are the final verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has just died and has been resurrected. And he has sent his followers, his disciples, his apostles to go to Galilee to meet with him on a mountain. It's almost like a a Moses and Mount Sinai kind of experience. And there on the mountain, Jesus gives his followers a commission. Last marching orders. And Matthew ends his gospel with these words. Now these are not what we can tell Jesus' last words. Luke, in the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, records a different scene of Jesus' last words. But the words, what he says, are very similar to what is recorded here in Matthew. But Matthew ends his gospel account with these words because he understands that these words of Jesus need to be emphasized. We emphasize the last words of people. I was, just last week, I was on YouTube, you know, the little like reels or little short clips, I don't know, they're like totally addicting, but um, I was kind of going through it, watch that, and a little short two-minute video comes on about Albert Einstein, and for some reason that seemed like something I should watch in that moment, so I watched this little video about Albert Einstein, it was about when Albert Einstein died, I'm like, well, that's interesting, Albert Einstein's a pretty influential, important person in our history, and he died at the age of 76, that's a whole other story, but he was in the hospital, and as he was dying, he uttered his last words, and his nurse was there to hear them. I'm like, whoa, the last words of Albert Einstein. But he spoke in German, and the nurse didn't understand German. So she didn't understand what he said, and then he died. And the video kind of portrays this as a great national loss, that, that we don't know what Albert Einstein's last words were. They have been lost to humanity. And the reason that the video is emphasizing that is because we have this belief that someone's last words carry extra weight, that we need to listen to them, that we need to heed them. I think it's for this reason that Matthew ends his gospel with these words. In Matthew's gospels, gospel, these are the last and weighty words of Jesus. So let's look at this passage. These last words of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew. In these last words, there are four things that Jesus is telling his followers to do. To go, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them. But there's only one command. And that command is make disciples. Everything else is subordinate to that one central command. When his disciples left the mountain. There was no confusion what they were supposed to do with the rest of their lives. They were to make disciples for Jesus. The simplicity of Jesus' marching orders are grounding and clarifying for the follower of Jesus. I remember when the Lord really grabbed my attention with this truth. As I was saying, before we launched this church, we were partnered with a, a larger church in our city. Actually, we joined that church because they, were, they weren't planting churches, but they were kind of thinking like maybe they will. And so we came alongside to help them 
form and start their church planning program. And so we were working on the south side of the city, and we were, were pastoring a, a growing group of people, networked together in small groups, had over 100 people that, were, that we were pastoring. That's important because in our, where we live, the average evangelical church is less than 100 people. So, so our group of small groups already was larger than the average church in the area. So I'm like, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's launch this thing, baby. Let's go. But our partner church, led by godly men, awesome church, was struggling with their vision, what they wanted to do, and, and the launching of the church kept getting delayed. And we weren't able to get a building. We weren't able to have a, a launch service or preview service. And I was frustrated. I mean, I just felt hogtied. And I was just angry and irritated. And I remember driving home one day. It's very clear in my mind. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm frustrated. I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I have nothing to show for all this work that we've done. We have no building. We have no church services. And there's a little pride in that because you want to show people that support you. Look what I'm doing. We have a building. We have a sign. We have, we have Sunday services. Now, we didn't have that. And I was really frustrated. I'm like, Lord, I just want to get a church planted. Now, I'm not going to say the Lord spoke to me. That's a little weird. I'm going to say it was a spirit-guided thought. That's what it was. I talk to myself all the time. Let's be honest. I do. I, it, it's something about learning a second language, and you just get stuck in your head, and, and uh, that's a whole other story. I'm a little crazy sometimes, but but I'm having this conversation in my head, and there's this like spirit-directed thought that comes into my mind. And uh, this thought's talking to me, again, not unnormal, because I talk to myself all the time. And it says, hey, Lucas, uh, here's something I just want to bring to your attention. Jesus never commanded anybody to plant a church. He commanded people, his followers, to make disciples. Just make disciples. That was this ray of light in the midst of a fog for me. The clarity. I don't got to worry about all this. I just, gotta, I, just, I just need day to day. I just need to make disciples. Churches, in reality, local churches come and go, disciples, true disciples last. In that little phrase, just make disciples, has been clarifying and stabilizing for me all through our ministry. Because when we actually started and launched the new church that we're doing now, there has been tremendous chaos. I don't have time to get into some of the chaos, but when I say chaos, I mean chaos. Like things are collapsing all around us. And there's so many times I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know what to do. Or I think about, I don't know how to scale this. I don't know what, what direction to go in. And you start getting freaked out and start, this thing is going to work, it's going to collapse. And every time I have these, these moments of panic, the same voice comes into my mind. Just make disciples. Are you making disciples? Yes. There. You're being obedient. That's all I want you to do. Just make disciples. Okay. And that little phrase has, has backed me and walked me off the ledge, back from the ledge, many times. It's just a clarifying and simple command of Jesus that my life needs to revolve around. Just make disciples. Disciples. Now you might be thinking, well, Lucas, I, I'm glad that's helpful. I can see for a missionary or a church planner or for a pastor, that is really helpful, very clarifying. That's, that's great. But look, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a church planner. 
does this really apply to me? Because here Jesus, he's talking to his leaders, to his apostles. Does it even apply to the rest of us? And the answer is yes. Don't open there, but let me read you a passage real quick. This is so cool to me. It's in Acts chapter 8, and then I'm also going to jump over to chapter 11. Just, just listen. It says this. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his ex execution. Talking about Stephen, the very first martyr in the early church. So Saul, who eventually became Paul, we know that story. Saul approved of his ex uh, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Which is really kind of funny, but that's a whole other story. Because apostles means sent ones. I'll tell you, okay. It's a joke. Apostles means sent ones. That's the word means. So it says the whole church was, was scattered except the sent ones. The sent ones stayed, the church was scattered. Verse 19 of chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 19 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. He's not talking about the apostles. He's talking about the church that was scattered. The church that, that was scattered followed and obeyed the command of Jesus to go make disciples. This is a command for every follower of Jesus. Something's really cool. The Lord used these common, common, I don't know if there's actually no such thing as common, anyway, but use these normal followers of Jesus to establish the church in Antioch that became the missionary hub for the gospel going out around the world. So it wasn't the apostles that were obeying Jesus' last words in this passage. It was the church, every follower of Jesus. Jesus has given every follower this clear, in simple command, make disciples. But, what is a disciple? What are we supposed to make? And by implication, who as disciples are we supposed to be? Because disciples make disciples. You have to be one before you make one. And Jesus lays it out to us in the rest of the passage, starting in verse 19. Let's go back and look there. Verse 19. Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Step one, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Now there's a lot I could say here, but this isn't really where I want to focus this morning. But let me summarize it this way, what Jesus is saying here. Baptism is shorthand, in this verse, baptism is shorthand for the whole process of evangelism and, conver and conversion. It's referring to someone who has heard the gospel, repent repented, and believes in Jesus. Their heart being changed and transformed through faith in Christ. Baptism, the physical act of getting wet with water, 
can't do that, right? I think we get that. Though it doesn't, it doesn't represent it, my decision to trust Christ as my Savior is personal and private, right? When I trust in Christ, when you trusted in Christ, if you have, that's a personal and private decision. No one sees it. It happens in my mind, in my heart. The transformation begins. But Jesus made it clear that the, that the decision can't stay personal and private. It must be declared publicly. This is what baptism is. Baptism is the public declaration of my private decision to trust in Jesus as my Savior. Though the actual act of baptism won't change me. Important to understand. The actual act of baptism, getting wet, won't change me or make me right with God. But we shouldn't downplay its importance. In many places in the world and in the early church, your decision to trust and follow Jesus is not taken seriously until you publicly declare your faith in baptism. Jesus here is saying that a disciple is someone who has believed in him and has made the decision to follow him than choosing to go public through baptism. Just a little side note. Um, I was going to mess up my, my time over here, but just a little side note. This is a thought I had in my head. There's a guy that we've been working on in Brazil, Bible studies evangelism for like two years. Which in Brazil, where we are in Brazil, with our culture in the south side of Brazil, south part of Brazil, it's very common. On what I was told when I moved to Brazil, the south side, not the north part of Brazil, but the south of Brazil, that on average you'll invest a year and a half to two years in someone before they trust Christ. To me, that blew my mind. But it has proven itself to be very true. And we've been working with this guy for now over two years. He's coming, he's coming along. After a, a time of baptism that we had at our church, uh, uh, we had some people get baptized. Later on that week, I talked to uh, Fabricio, is his name. Can I ask him where he's at? He's like, yeah, I, you know, I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm a follower. He says, but I'm not going to get baptized. I was like, whoa, now, that's kind of weird. He's like, he's willing to believe him. He's not going to get baptized. And I kind of thought, and I didn't really respond to that in the moment, but I kind of thought to myself, man, when you bow your knee to Jesus, getting baptized is no problem. It's like submitting to that is nothing. Because when you finally come to the place, you bow your knee to Jesus. He says jump and say how high because he's your Lord and Savior. Baptism is important. It's that public declaration. It's going public with your faith. And at baptism, now again here is shorthand for the whole process of evangelism and conversion. This is where your, your lifelong journey as a disciple begins. But it's only the beginning. Jesus didn't say to make converts, but to make disciples. And how we make disciples, instead of simply converts, is laid out by what Jesus said in the next verse. So we'll look at verse 20 here. But I'll, I'll read verse 19 again, just so we keep the context going. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. A disciple must be taught. As disciples, 
We are learners at our core. But what are we supposed to be teaching and learning? It's not theology. (gasps) I know. That's not the most controversial thing I'm going to say this morning. It's not theology. Now, I don't want to diminish the importance of theology, but I do want to elevate something else to the level where Jesus puts it. Let's look again at verse 20. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that right there is the heart of what Jesus wants us to be teaching each other. We're supposed to be teaching and learning everything Jesus taught and commanded. It's the teachings of Jesus. Now on a side note, this is is a whole other message. If you want to like totally disrupt your faith and shake your, 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 your understanding of what it means to be a disciple to its core, spend a year and just study the teachings of Jesus. In, in our church the past year or so, we've been studying the teachings and the parables of Jesus. You will have probably a similar experience that I had when you'll walk away thinking, whoa, so this is what it means to follow Jesus. This isn't what I thought it was what it meant. This is, this is a little more difficult than I thought. It, and it will totally shake, shake your face to the core in a good way. That's a side note. That's a whole other message. But this idea of learning the commands of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, it's more than just that. Look again at verse 20. Verse 20 says, teaching them to, to what? Observe all that I've commanded you. We are to observe what he's commanded, what he's taught. Now observe doesn't mean to look at. It's a word that means obey. Now in some translations, the NIV even translates it that way. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. A disciple is not simply defined by what he knows, but by what he does. Jesus doesn't want us to learn his teaching so that we can pass some sort of exam with all the right answers. He wants us to learn his teachings so we can live and conduct ourselves like he did. He's not simply passing down a body of information, but a way of life. So that that a disciple of Jesus, through their conduct, their way of life, and obedience to his teachings, would be the reflection and the revelation of Jesus to the world around them. Not just information, it's a way of life. John Nolan, in his commentary on Matthew, comments on this idea, what it means to keep or observe. He says this, This is so cool. I like how he put it. He says, Matthew shares the general Jewish impulse to view true religion as involving a way of life and not simply a pattern of beliefs. Let me say that again. Matthew shares the general Jewish impulse to view true religion as involving a way of life and not simply a pattern of beliefs. So that, so what is to be taught is to keep, that is, to implement in obedience what has been commanded. It's about a way of life. Now, now I do want to say something somewhat controversial. Maybe. This is something I've, I've observed in my life, and I found this to be true, and it may also be true in your life. 
for many of us here today. Our learning has greatly outpaced our obedience. For many of us here today, we don't need to learn one more theological fact for the rest of our life. Let that sink in. The church today is more informed than any church in the history of the world. For not all of us, we're all at different places, but for many of us, I'm going to guess, we don't need to learn one, we've learned enough theology for, the, for, for the, our entire life. What we need is to invest the rest of our lives trying to obey and live out what we've already learned. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the importance of learning or to study theology. I am trying to elevate obedience to the level where Jesus put it. We can't divorce learning from obedience. Now, let me give you an example of how we do it in Brazil, in our church in Brazil. This is such an important, right from this, this passage, such an important uh, idea. Down in Brazil, with our ministry there, every Bible study that we do, everyone, be it an evangelistic Bible study with someone who doesn't know Christ, be it a book study, some book that we're reading, that, or our gatherings on Sunday, every Bible study we do ends with this question. What does God want me to do this week because of this passage that we just studied? And then we make what we call an I will statement. Okay, because of this passage, this week I will do this. It's some step of obedience, something the Lord wants me to do. In our church gatherings, we actually have a little sheet of paper. Well, I actually have it right here. We have a little sheet of paper. Now, here's my phone and it's a clear case, so I stick them on the back of my, yeah, you can't, probably can't see it, but. Those up front can tell there's a little white piece of paper here. And so we make these I will statements because obedience is so important. We don't want to lose the moment and separate learning from obedience. So we make these little I will statements. So we study the passage. Just to give you an example. This is from a couple, uh, quite a few Sundays ago now. Um, but at the end, it's in Portuguese, so I gotta translate this. Uh, at the end of the, uh, of the Sunday gathering, we all pass around these little sheets of paper. And this is what I put down. I will start each day with a time of confession in worship. Because in that passage that week, there, that was the thing that God really is drawing to my attention. Like, well, how do I obey this? Well, this week, I'm going to spend every morning, I'm going to wake up and have a time, I'm going to confess my sins to the Lord and spend some time in worship. I just want to obey what God's been teaching me. That little step, and it's a, and it's a simple little step, a little, that one little extra step has transformed and deepened my walk with the Lord this past year. It's totally changed. Even, even, sorry, I'm going to get off my notes again, but even this, this, this idea, so often we say, what? I want a deep faith. I want a deeper faith. And often as we think, well, to have a deeper faith, I need to, you know, study more complicated, deeper theology. But no. Do you know what a deep faith is? A deep faith is a deep obedience. Because when the Lord asks you to do something, you see something in His Word, it's like, Holy smokes, I'm supposed, he wants me to do that? To step out and obey, that is a huge step of faith. You want to deepen your faith in the Lord? Start obeying him more. He will stretch your faith and deepen it. This idea of just having this time of, of 
putting these steps of obedience each week on these pieces of paper, these commitments, it, it helps drive home that Scripture is not to simply be studied, it's to be applied and obeyed. It's marrying the learning with the obedience. So let's pause for a moment just do a quick review of what, we, what we're looking at. We as disciples of Jesus are to make disciples. A disciple is someone who believes in him and has decided to become his follower as represented by and publicly proclaimed by baptism. And this person, this disciple, is learning to live by and learning to obey the teachings of Jesus, being the reflection and the revelation of Jesus to the world around them. So, a disciple not only believes in Jesus, not only learns about the teachings of Jesus, but also strives to obey, put into practice the teachings of Jesus. So let's practically think through how we can apply this passage to our lives in the different spheres of our lives and how to apply it this week. Because we can't talk about the importance of connecting Scripture and Jesus' teachings and obedience if we're not actually going to do that here. I'm even going to challenge you today to think of like an I will statement. Like, I'm going to leave here and this week I'm going to do this. I'm going to challenge you to share it with somebody. Maybe in your home, in your small group, in your church, they can keep you accountable on it. Because we've learned that a lot of discipleship is just helping disciples learn to obey what Jesus has taught. But I want to show you how we do this in our, in our church down in Brazil, a church plant there. Because everything that we do in our ministry in Brazil revolves around this idea that comes from the Great Commission. That we are to be and to make disciples. And so we created this little graphic. You can probably throw up the little, it looks like a Wi-Fi, oh, it is a Wi-Fi symbol. There it is. We have this little Wi-Fi symbol. This, this helps us pro- process and think how to apply this passage in the different spheres of my life. This idea, this idea that I'm to be and to make disciples. And that starts with me. So I need to be and to make a disciple in the sphere of me. That means i got to be thinking, what am I doing to grow? How is my study of the Word? Do I have that discipline? Am I trying to hear from the Lord? Am I trying to learn what Jesus taught? Am I thinking about how to obey those things? How's my, am I praying? Am I worshiping? Am I, am I confessing? What is my, what is my prayer closet like? Am I growing? And what you'll find that as you start pursuing the Lord, that's going to well up, that's going to overflow into your home. Start thinking about, in my home, whatever my home is. You might be here, you're single this morning, you're like, well, I'm, I'm 17, I don't, or maybe you probably have a home then because you're parents, but let's say you're, 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 let's say you're single, and you have no children, and you're single. It's like, well, what's my home? Well, you have a spiritual family, it's a church. We'll get there in a second. The Apostle Paul even talks about how those who are single have more opportunity to be and make disciples. So we'll get to there. But those here who are in a home, who have children and or a spouse, you need to think about how I'm going to be and make disciples in my home. How am I going to, 
Am I being the revelation of Jesus to my spouse, to my children? Do they see Jesus through my conduct, through my way of life? Am I investing in my spouse, encouraging them, striving to help them grow, to pray together? Am I discipling my spouse? Am I evangelizing, making disciples of my children? Do they see Jesus in me? Or do they see an angry parent that has no grace and no mercy? Or do they see Jesus? So much of what we do as a church starts in the home. You know, in, Bra in Brazil, I, 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 in Brazil, right before we, we left to come back to the States, I told the two couples that were leading in our stead. And one of the things I told them, I said, look, um, if things start to go south, because <laughs> they could, we don't know, we're, we're six months out of the country. I said, look, if things start going south and, and our gatherings on Sunday, they're kind of dead and people aren't interested and they're kind of like, eh. Um, I said, remember, you don't need to change anything about our gatherings. That's, that's a sign. That's the fruit that things aren't right at home. Because I, I really believe that the, the, the life of the church, the culture of the church starts at home. As you walk with the Lord, as you're being and making disciples in your home, that overflows into your, into your church gathering, your spiritual family. And this was something, during COVID, man, the Lord just mutilated me with this thought. That, that, that's a weird word. Got my attention. I remember one, now this was probably three or three years ago, and we we're still connected to our partner church. And our partner church has probably one of the best youth ministries I have ever seen and been a part of. And our kids flourished, and that was a huge blessing to us as a family. But during COVID, everything shut down, including the youth ministry. Now, the youth, so what they would do is they'd have like these online through WhatsApp or through um, Instagram, Instagram, live, whatever. They would have like little gatherings. My kids hated it. Hated it. And they just didn't, they just didn't do it. And so, and so they were, they had like no connection with the youth group and really not with the church. And so I remember one morning I'm sitting down on my couch. I'm having my prayer time and I'm, I'm reading scripture and I, I kind of stop. I'm just kind of praying and I'm just going to get lost in my thoughts and meditating and thinking. And, and this thought comes to my mind. I, I was like, man, it's been like two months since my kids have had any kind of youth group. Are there not any Bible studies? Who's teaching my kids the Bible? My kids aren't hearing the Bible. Who's teaching my kids the Bible? Man, there's no youth group. And in that moment, I had another one of those spirit-directed thoughts. This one was more like yelling, loud thought in my head. And it was this. Lucas, that's always been your role. You just gave it up to the youth pastor. You allowed the youth pastor to raise your kids. Now, youth groups are amazing and awesome. They're amazing ministries, but they're there to support the family. But I allowed them to just be the family. Dude, I was like, I was broke. I was broke in that moment. Man, I have totally blown it. And I started having more conversations. In my mind, I was kind of thinking about this. And I thought about, you know that, that time, like five, six years ago, this is this is this, this is this conversation I'm having in my head. Lucas, do you remember that time, like five, six years ago, when you got on your knees and you're like begging God to 
teach you how to pray. You get up early in the morning and just get on your knees before him and just spend a lot of time just asking him to teach you how to pray. And in those moments, you have these amazing times with the Lord. And it like redefined your idea of what prayer and meditation is. And it was like deep and rich and incredible. It's a, new, it's a whole new thing. And, and that kind of voice in my head is like, who's going to teach your kids that? I, mean, I, I gave that to you because you're supposed to pass that down to your kids. You don't know if I taught the youth pastor to pray like that. He's not going to teach your kids how to pray that way because I taught you to pray that way so that you teach your kids. Who's going to teach your kids to pray like that? I was like, okay, right. I, 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 there's a role. I, this is my, I have to teach my children. So I called my kids down. Boys, come here. And they come down the stairs. I'm like, we're going to pray. And we're, we're, I'm going to teach you how to pray. We started praying together that morning. But I was so torn up by that. Because I had, I was not obeying what Jesus commanded. I was not being and making disciples in my own home. I was, I'd given over to somebody else. Youth ministry, the church, it's amazing. It's a blessing. But it's not spiritual welfare, right? It's here to help us, to walk with us. But we have a calling. I'm just talking to parents real fast. I was talking, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but Two months back, a friend of mine called me, believer, at a church here in the area. He was just kind of lost, and like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what my calling is. I don't see any place I can serve in the church. I'm just kind of lost. I don't know what to do. I don't know what my calling is. I said, well, well hold on, buddy. Let's just think real clear. I mean, there are some very clear callings that you already have in your life. One is to be a disciple. That's a little me right there. We talk about, what are you doing? Are you growing? Are you studying scripture? Are you praying? What's your, what's your spiritual disciplines like? You have a calling to be a disciple. And I said, you also have a calling because he's married and has children. You're, you have a calling to be a husband and a parent. Are, are you making disciples in your home? We have some very clear callings to be and to make disciples in these spheres. And that spills over into our spiritual family, which is the church. Now, this thing totally blew my mind a couple years back when I thought about this. Each one of us, as a disciple and follower of Jesus, we have the, the, the calling and responsibility to be and make disciples in this community, in this spiritual family. So often we get locked in this unbiblical idea that the leadership, are it's their job to disciple you guys. That's not how it works. You have a calling to make disciples and to be disciples in this spiritual family. This needs to be a self-discipling family, community. As you enter, I'm not just talking about Sundays, I'm talking about the church exists all, all week long. You're part of this family. So what are you doing? How are you interacting and reflecting Jesus? Are you being a disciple in this community? Are you reflecting and being a revelation of Jesus in the way you love and forgive and conduct yourself amongst this family that you call High Point? You have people in your home. Are you pointing them to Jesus? Are you challenging them and helping them to follow him? Are you making disciples here? Don't fall into the trap that it's, it's the pastor's job to make disciples of you. He has a role to preach the word over you, to shepherd, to help. But every one of you that know Jesus as your Savior has the calling, the mandate by Jesus himself to be and to make disciples here. That blew my mind when I thought about that. And finally, 
I have my mission. All of those around me, all these relationships that God has already connected me with, the people I work with, my neighbors, my friends, maybe some of my extended family, the person I bump into at the gas station. I have the calling by Jesus himself to be and to make disciples there, to be the revelation of Jesus to the world around me, the way I conduct myself, my humility, my mercy, my grace, my love, and to point them and to lead them to Jesus. This is how we process through this passage in a very practical sense in our church in Brazil. We are to be and to make disciples. So the obvious question as we close down is this. Are you? You might be here this morning. Maybe you've attended for a long time or maybe this is just your first time attending. And you're not even a disciple. You've never seen yourself as a sinner before a holy God in need of salvation. Probably heard it before. You probably need to hear it again. That God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. To absorb the penalty of your sin. That by placing your faith in Him and bowing your knee to Him, you would have forgiveness and new life, eternal life. Your journey as a disciple should start today with the decision to trust Him. you're not a disciple, that's where it starts for you today. If you do know Christ, are you being and making disciples? And what are you going to do this week? What step of obedience are you going to do this week to be and to make disciples? In your own life, in your home, in your church family, in your community. Be and make disciples. I'm going to challenge you today. Make an I will statement. Think on this. Look at this, this diagram and think, Lord, what do you want me to do this week? Not some big thing like, I'm saying just a simple step. It could be some, so simple as, this week I'm going to start praying for my unsaved neighbor. Awesome. Do that. Or this week I'm going to start getting serious about reading my Bible at home. Or this week, I'm going to pray with my wife. Or I'm going to, we're on the dinner table. I'm going to talk about Scripture and our devotions with my family. Whatever it is, God might lead you in a thousand different ways in this moment. These steps of obedience. Make an I will statement. I will do this. And then share it with somebody. Keep you accountable on it. You will find that simply taking these small steps of, of obedience will lead you into a very profound relationship with Christ. We are to be and to make disciples. Let's obey and let's do it. Father, thanks so much for a look at this super familiar passage, but at least for me, Lord, it's, it's new. It's challenging. And I'm thankful for it. Lord, your calling in our lives is very clear. To be disciples. To trust you. To believe in you. To be forgiven. To be disciples. 
and also to make disciples. So Lord, may this be a community that obeys this commandment, the Great Commission from Jesus. Amen.